Welcome to the Spark Youth Podcast. Spark is the youth ministry of the Enfield and Strathfield Anglican Church. Our mission is to gather to hear God's word, to grow in Christ's likeness, and to go in prayerful proclamation. To find out more about us, you can go to our website at fields.org.au forward slash spark, or you can find us on our Instagram page at instagram.com forward slash youth underscore of underscore spark. Only five months ago, nobody had heard of the coronavirus. Then, in January 11th, China reported its first death by the virus. No one could have predicted what would happen next. On March 11th, 2020, the World Health Organization declared the coronavirus outbreak a global pandemic. Now, the official count as of this morning is that there are 2,300,000 coronavirus cases, causing a total of 159,000 deaths, with 595,000 people recovering. And it has impacted almost every area of life. Stock markets have plummeted, causing an economic earthquake. As a result of social distancing, we can't see our friends anymore, go to school, or play sport. I can't even take my kids to the playground anymore. Worse still, millions have lost their jobs or had to take pay cuts. Now, this is not the first time that this has happened. In the global influenza epidemic of 1918, 50 million people around the world died. People felt symptoms in the morning and were dead by nightfall. Bodies were picked up from the front porches to be carted away to graves dug by bulldozers. A man was shot for not wearing a mask. Schools were closed and people were crying out, the end of the world is here. So coronavirus not be the first global pandemic, but it has the same effect as every major world disaster. This is a time when the fragile form of this world is felt. The seemingly solid foundations we were standing on are now shaking. What seems so secure, our lifestyle, our independence, our freedom, our lives, are now uncertain. Who will be affected? Will our loved ones? How quickly will tests be available? Will we survive? How long will it last? What about our parents' work? What about their income? Will I see my friends again? People are feeling insecure and they've been filled with fear. And you can see this in the panic buying and the hoarding. Someone went to return $10,000 worth of hoarded toilet paper and hand sanitizers the other day. As people's worldly foundations have been torn down, people are starting to ask, where can we go for security and a more solid foundation for hope that can't be shaken? And we see this by what people are searching on the internet. Between mid-March and late March, there has been a 170% increase in the clicks on the internet about finding hope a 57% increase about fear, and a 39% increase on the topic of worry. It is actually a precious gift from God to discover, while we still have time, that the pillars that were holding us up, our peace, our security, are actually hollow and made of paper mache. So the question is, can we depend on God amidst this pandemic? We need a foundation that isn't surprised or destroyed by the disasters of this world. In the Bible, we learn two important truths about God that are very relevant. 
Firstly, the Bible teaches that the God who made the world controls everything. This is called God's sovereignty. Secondly, this God is not like an evil villain, but is unchangeably good and directs everything that happens for his good purposes. This is called God's providence. The Bible shows us that God is in control over famine, fever, every disease, travel plans, entire nations, even life and death. The Heidelberg Catechism, a set of questions and answers that Christians developed in 1563 to help teach the Bible, describes God's good providence like this. The almighty, everywhere, present power of God, whereby, as it were, by his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth with all creatures and so governs them, that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, Yes, all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. God is in control of this virus and our lives. So what does this mean? Well, C.S. Lewis once uh, wrote, um, and he was the author of the Narnia series, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. The present crisis is meant to wake us up to the fact that something is wrong with the world. What we're seeing is God's curse on the world against our rejection of him. It should cause us to realize that something worse is coming, namely God's judgment, where we will never experience the goodness of God or his gifts ever again. And yet the world, set on ignoring God, works tirelessly to distract us from this fact. In the movie Horton Hears a Who, an elephant Horton finds a speck of dust floating in the jungle. Upon investigation of the speck, Horton discovers a tiny city of Whoville and its residents, the Whos, contained on this speck, which he can hear but cannot see. In one part of the movie, the residents of Whoville realise something is wrong. The mayor responds by saying, I'm declaring a state of emergency. But the Whoville Council cut in and say, Don't worry, don't worry. The mayor is just being a moron. Who wants the joy and glory and um, and festivity of the Who Centennial to proceed as planned? The mayor responds by saying, Wait, you've got to listen to me. Our whole world could explode. But the Whoville Council say, The people have spoken, Mr. Mayor. You're finished. No one believes you. No one supports you. And then the weather turned dark and windy and the mayor said, Wait, everyone, look at the wind. What do you think that means? The council responded, It means, um, obviously, let's let the kite-flying race begin. In many ways, this is how our world responds to the warning signs that we're in danger. Some might see how serious it is, but others will encourage you to see it as kite weather, that we shouldn't let this spoil our fun or make us think too seriously about heaven or hell or death or what's going to come after. In Luke 13, verse 4 to 5, some people came to Jesus with a question about a tower falling on someone and what it means. Jesus responded by saying, Those eighteen on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they are worse off than any of the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Unlike the council of Whoville, Jesus doesn't tell them, don't worry. He tells them, the hard-hitting truth that they need to hear, that the suffering and disasters in this world are a warning sign, that we need to repent, we need to turn back to God, or we likewise will be destroyed. 
And we see some, the, a similar point made by Paul in Acts 17. Here Paul says that he has determined allotted periods and the boundaries of our dwelling place that everyone might seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Have you ever had that feeling that there are just too many coincidences for your life to be a complete accident? Well, that feeling is there because God put it there. You're not an accident. Everything that has happened has happened for a reason, that, and that reason is that you would seek and find God. Now, some might respond that that's all well and good for God to plan world disasters to lead us back to Him, but who wants to have a relationship with a God like that? Does He even know or care what we're going through? Hebrews 4.15 says, We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. In Jesus, God became a man. He did this so that we might take the, he might take the consequences of the curse upon himself, that he might feel the full weight of our suffering and evil, that he was betrayed by a close friend, he was gossiped and lied about, he was given an unfair trial, he was beaten, spat upon and mocked. Finally, his close friend left him. He was left all alone and died a public death in humiliation. This is the same God who rose again and now sits in heaven to plead with God on our behalf. So whatever you're going through, whatever you're feeling, we can pray to a God who understands. So are you turning to Jesus in this time? Christian pastor John Piper recently wrote in his free online book, Coronavirus and Christ, the same sovereignty that could stop the coronavirus, yet doesn't is the very sovereignty that sustains the soul in it. Knowing this makes all the difference. God sustained Jesus through his suffering and used it for good, and he will do the same for those who trust him. As Romans 8, 28-29 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Therefore, we who trust in Jesus can say with Paul in verse 37 of Romans chapter 8, Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels or rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The word for more than conquerors is literally super conquerors. What does this mean? It means that not only do we have victory through death and through suffering, but that suffering and death have become our servants through Jesus. They provide an opportunity to display to the world the security and hope and peace we can have through these things, that the coronavirus can't take our soul security in Christ. So, coronavirus presents us with an opportunity, and I want to encourage you not to waste this opportunity. In this day and age, everyone believes that individual rights and freedom are the most important thing. But this desire to be independent has led to loneliness for many. Many lack genuine community, genuine connection, genuine relationship. And they long for people who will understand them and a community in which they can belong. And we can offer them that. A family bound together by love and who share a common hope. Secondly, we can offer practical care. Up until recently, people valued popularity and reputation and success and material things above everything else. But now that 
The people everyone are talking about are those people that have sacrificed their self-interest for the good of others. As we seek to love our neighbour as Christ loved us, our simple acts of kindness can more easily win a hearing for Jesus. Even recently, I've been helping my neighbour carry some things upstairs, um, bringing him some supplies, toilet paper and the like. And recently he says, "You you embarrass me. And I said, I'm really sorry. And he said, no, you embarrass me because my family, my relatives won't even do the things that you're doing for me. Even little things can make a big difference. And we can also offer this practical care to Christians. Recently, there was someone in our youth group who didn't have a Bible, so I took one over to them. I'm sure there are plenty of ways that you can help care for those Christians in your community. Thirdly, we can offer people real hope and peace. Millions of worried people have turned to Google with their anxiety over this virus and have ended up connecting with churches and youth groups. In March, uh, a Christian website was launched in six languages. In the first four weeks... 173,000 people visited those websites and 10,000 clicked a button indicating that they had made decisions for Christ. One visitor, a 17-year-old teenager, told a chat volunteer, I'm not really a religious person, but I don't know who else to turn to but God. 45 minutes later, he was a follower of Jesus and had been pointed to discipleship resources. The opportunities aren't just online. One person said, I've lived across the street from my neighbour for 10 years and I just went and shared the gospel with him for the first time ever because I started to share the gospel on the internet and I learned how to have conversations with people. I've gotten to go on some walks with my neighbour who I previously had little contact with and it's opened up conversations about Jesus. Who could you be having intentional conversations with? And how can you be more intentional in those conversations? Well, here are my suggestions. Firstly, talk about what they miss and learn about what they value. You could ask, how has your life been affected by the virus? What are you looking forward to when it clears up? Secondly, understand their insecurities and learn where their hope lies. Ask, what are they anxious about and what do they fear? Thirdly, deepening relationships by talking about the things that you and they believe are important. Help them to reflect on issues that um, they might raise, especially what they hope for, particularly the underlying issues, and help them recognize their need, their brokenness, and their insecurities, and share with your insecurities and your needs and your brokenness as well. Hopefully this will open up some conversations and prepare people to hear the good news of Jesus, so you can fourthly share Jesus and the eternal security of the gospel revealing to them their true hope and the true life they can have. Share with them how the gospel provides what they long for most deeply. Two Ways to Live is a great gospel resource that you can use, which can be found online. In Colossians 4, Paul says, we should pray that God might open the door for us to share the gospel. So let's close by doing that now. Father, we thank you that through Jesus, we have unshakable hope and peace that nothing can separate us from your love in Christ. Please open up doors that we might share this gospel with those around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.